1: Happy yes.
3: New Year. Let me be Raleigh the last to wish you. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. We both beat Matt to it, so that's what kind of year it's going to be.
2: <sighs> just guess. the way I like it.
3: Last place.
2: Well, taking umbrage is something that doesn't matter, you know?
3: <laughs> who,
2: who would I taking be if I could harbor resentments against something that is meaningless? Yes. Um, yeah. Hey, listener, hope your 2024 is off to a good start. And that you can make jokes at your own expense, like I do, uh, because it's a better way to live. Um, if you can make your deepest pathologies into C minus jokes, the world is a better place. Uh, hopefully, you had good uh, there's holidays, right? Yeah, there is something yeah. to that. We're yeah. in the middle of Christmas tide. Uh, it's still the twelve days of Christmas. Yes. Um, Epiphany so don't, is
1: coming. Epiphany's coming. Epiphany is coming.
2: Don't uh, you know? Don't lose. Don't lose that holiday cheer.
3: Yeah. Hopefully your Christmas trees are still up.
2: Don't yeah. Don't take those Christmas trees down <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um, anyway, Christmas. Hopefully lights, you had a good holiday. The whole thing. And uh, we're recording this before the holidays because we're going to take the holidays off. So I can't even ask yeah. you how your Christmas was. We'll have to do that sometime. In we'll February. have to do
1: yeah sometime. I'm in, sure it was great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Christmas is always great. You right? know, Paul I and mean, I
1: aren't doing gifts this year oh. because no no Christmas gifts, no anniversary, no birthday, no Valentine's, no nothing because. Oh we have been married so long. Tub. No, oh. we're getting what? a hot tub. Oh, what? yes. Come on, people. It's going to be a great oh. year. Hang on a second.
2: Hey, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> the Penley's are getting a idea. hot tub. <laughs> she's going to want to come visit. Oh, yes, I'm telling she is. You, come tub, on. Please. She may show up by herself with her suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> I love so, it. I booked um, a ticket. You know what? As we're recording this, so the hot tub is fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to tell Sharon more about it. Uh, although I don't know anything more about it. I'm just going to make up things. Um, when you're listening to this, listener, uh, Christy and I will be in Orlando, Florida together.
1: Yes, we will. And
2: maybe seeing oh each other at Disney World. Disney so. World.
1: Come on. Wow. It's going to be great. Disney World. Yeah.
3: I feel like well, I'm out of the loop. With with you guys, I'm out of the loop on college football rivalries. I'm also out of the loop on, like, Disney. Like, my, when my kids were younger, we did Disney a few times. Um, but, you know, I just... I don't go there. I don't think about Disney. I mm. don't think about college football. Mm. Um, I don't know. Just I'm feeling out of the loop.
1: But now you will every time you use my <laughs> Michigan salt and pepper shakers okay, I yes, gave you. I will.
3: Yeah. I will. I'll, every I'll day. I'll make a note. I'll make a note to be like, what can I look up about college football controversies? So yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, Jim Harbaugh. I'm trying to remember from the last episode.
1: <laughs> but a, new, so, year. New, a new year. I love new years. I love starting things new. Like I like beginning again.
3: Can, can you guys believe it's 2024 though? I no. I mean, it feels like, it no. feels like I still, in some, in a lot of ways, I still feel like I'm 24 years old. <laughs> yes. And like 2024 is a year that you read about in a science fiction novel or, yeah. you know, you like you walk and you're like, man, flying cars and jetpacks probably in 2024. Right. Yep. And it's like, n- Nope. Just normal cars and potholes in the road and no jetpacks. <laughs> no jetpacks. Nobody's flying anywhere. You're still just walking around. Yep. I don't know. I, di- I didn't guess this for 2024. Yeah, I didn't either. I don't mm. know. It's, uh,
2: it's, it's the fourth iteration of 2020. That's kind of how I describe 2024. It does feel <laughs> a bit like I'm like stuck you- in a loop, like yeah. uh, a pandemic loop. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I've been this forgetting right. things lately. Ben, we were talking about this. Yeah, I've been forgetting things lately. My wife brought it up to me, so uh, it's a normal process of aging. But you're not that old yet. I'm not that old. Um, Yeah. So maybe I have a tapeworm. I don't know. I got to figure it out.
3: Yeah. Hopefully, you're not experiencing early cognitive decline.
1: Don't worry. I'll just keep reminding you that I'm like your favorite female co-host. That's true. And Ben's your favorite male (laughs) co-host. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Thank you, Christy. I'll need that. That'll that'll be helpful. That'll yeah, be helpful. You know. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, anyway, well,
1: today, who we who are we listening to?
3: We've got an interview today with Cheryl Bridges Johns. Um, we're talking about making the Bible dangerous again.
1: Still in our no. Bible series.
3: Yeah. We decided we're to extend stuff. this into the new year because we kept finding new people to talk to. <laughs> right. So we'll just continue this until we run out of interesting people to talk to. So, so yeah, this is. Um, were you on this interview, Christy? I can't remember. We recorded this a while back.
1: Yeah, yeah sometimes they bleed together. Um, <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I really should know the answer to this, but
3: uh, that's all good. That's all good. That's all good. Holiday um, brain.
1: I'm forgetting yes. things. I'm getting old.
3: Oh man! Come on, everybody. <laughs> now cognitive decline. Here we go. Here we go. Well, um, yes, we should get into anyway. It, huh? Yeah, let's get into it. Cheryl Bridges Johns, everybody. Let's uh let's listen to hear what she has to say.
2: Cheryl Bridges Johns joins us today on the Gravity podcast. She's a pastor and theologian who has taught college and seminary students for over 40 years. She is visiting professor and director of the Pentecostal House of Studies at United Theological Seminary and previously taught at Pentecostal Theological Seminary and is past president of the Society for Pentecostal Studies. Today, she joins our show to talk about her newest book, Reenchanting the Text Discovering the Bible as Sacred. Dangerous and mysterious. Mm-hmm. Cheryl, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast.
4: Thank you, Matt. It's an honor to be with you.
2: Um, this is the first interview we've done about a book that has the f- phrase re enchanting or mm-hmm. the, the word re enchanting in the title. Um, maybe we could start with just that word because I uh, the word enchantment is enchanting. in a way like (laughs) it creates this it evokes sort of a a wonder and a possibility and an openness so Mm -hmm. maybe we could talk what do you mean by enchantment and and how have we come to be in a place that needs re-enchanting
4: yeah um as you noted in the book as you notice in the book i dialogued a lot with charles taylor and that big uh volume of secular age and others. And, and he, he talks about, um, as did Max Weber at the turn of the 20th century, the whole um, modern secular project to disenchant the world. Um, Taylor uses the word excarnation, the evacuation of any of the supernatural from the natural. And a long history of that post-Enlightenment history in which um, we no longer live in this, in this numinous uh, cosmos that is full of mystery and wonder. We now know better. You know, we live in this can't use Newtonian physics, you know, this sort of mechanical universe that uh, once we understand all the laws and how everything operates, we can just master and control everything. So the more we, um, we, we have done that in history, uh, we have objectified the world, and when you objectify, um, you you make it uh, sterile, uh, something under your control, and so much of the natural world has been victim to that, um, as well as other things, but the Bible was not um, immune to this project, and especially in the late 1800s, uh, it became much more of a scientific document that people had to analyze and it became an artifact of history. It caught, it got caught in history in some ways and uh, it, both the, the so-called liberals and the fundamentalist were treating the Bible pretty much as a flat historical artifact. The, fundamentalists such as Hodge and Warfield, it was a perfect, exact uh, document that when Jesus went back to heaven, he didn't send the Holy Spirit. He gave us this perfect book, scientifically proven, as Josh McDowell said in the 80s, evidence that demands a verdict. And then on the other side, you have extreme historical critical uh, analysis where The Bible is an artifact of history and an artifact of human communities as they try to understand and witness to a deity. But in both cases, the understanding of the Bible is sacramental or mysterious, um, that it was somehow divine or beyond us. Yeah, let me use that beyond us. Beyond our control, beyond our interpretation, beyond just beyond us, um, it it just became all under our control. We owned it. We buy it. We sell it. It's a great commodity. Uh, we weaponize it. We um, have great apologetics. We, you know, just the list could go on. But that's what I mean by it's a it's a victim to the whole disenchantment process. Mm.
1: Yeah. You just used the word, uh, sacramental uh, sacraments, and I'd love to just double-click on that for just a second, um, because I think many of our listeners might not expect someone from a Pentecostal background to kind of use that
0: mm-hmm. terminology.
1: And so what do you mean by sacramental? What And what does that have to do with re-enchantment?
4: Yeah, you know, I just would take a basic, maybe rawner view of a sacramental, that it's um, um, it is th- – a sign, a gift, um, an efficacious means of the grace of God, we, we would say, okay, the Eucharist is that.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And a lot of times in Protestant churches, the um, ministers are ordained as for word and sacrament. And one of the things that the Protestant Reformation did poorly, I think, is to separate word and sacrament. Yeah. And doing that, it's almost like you have to choose what kind of Protestant are you? Are you a word mm-hmm. Protestant? Or are you a sacramental Protestant? And I said, false choice. And, uh, there is, I think a sacramental worldview that Pentecostals have always had, but, um, you know, it was labeled as, um, naive. Uh, it was labeled as, uh, a pre-modern, uh, you, you know, go on magical, whatever. And Paul Tillich in his lectures, the Protestant era, you know, he said that Protestant reformation did take out some of the magic of the old churches in the sense that, um, the symbol and that, which it symbolized became collapsed. And therefore, um, it, it was hard for people not to just worship the symbol, and, and it's and by symbol I don't mean um, a um, re- radical reformation view of that. I mean that there is um, a sign, a symbol here, and what happened, I think, is that um, as as he says, there as Tillich says, in doing that, it was good to set free the word, the freedom of the word as a deconstructive power, um, the preached word that just causes us to tremble. But he said the next era of Protestantism will mean to re um, nature and not just the, the Eucharist, the oil, the wine, the water, the, the wind, the trees, um, so that we, uh, because in, in having this word, it became disembodied, it became sterile, um, it became a Zwingli kind of thing where anything that would inhibit you, said Zwingli, from hearing the word had to be just taken out into the streets of Zurich and burned. And um, so there's this re, I think, a re um, sacramentalizing of the world that those of you in your generation, Ben and, and Matt and Christy, you know, you're all part of that. Um, and you know what my my I would want to say, well, don't forget about the freedom of the word. Um, I was talking to a young man the other day over coffee and he came out of a I think of Southern Baptist tradition into Anglican and, and he said, but you know Cheryl, sometimes I really miss those powerful sermons. Homilies are not enough. And I said, well, why do you have to choose? I mean, what's the choice here? Um, So I do think that we have to maybe understand that word is not um, the opposite of sacrament. And word is bigger than scripture, for sure. And that uh, it was word that gave us the material world, the sacramental world. And so that's how I kind of tease that out some. I do that in the book a bit too, I think.
3: And now a word from a sponsor
0: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. greedy corporate men
2: Yeah, what I hear you saying is that a sacram- sacrament is a way of, is almost an, an epistemology. It's almost an ontology. It's a way of being in the world that mm-hmm. rejects kind of this bifurcation. You know, one uh, 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 an Eastern Orthodox priest that I've learned a lot from talks about um, modernity is living in a two-story universe where we have us down here with the material okay. stuff and God out there, up there, away from here. And once in a while, God breaks in here, but most of the time, He lives upstairs and we live downstairs.
4: Yep, that's it right there.
2: In a sacramental, what I hear you saying, a sacramental world is we live in a one-story universe
4: mm-hmm.
2: with all kinds of overlapping and interpenetrating, where the physical commu- can communicate spiritual, and where spiritual oh, yeah. things are made up of the material. And and I think that that that's to me when I think about enchantment, that's enchanting. Mm-hmm.
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. It is enchanting. It's mysterious too, isn't it? Yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe looping back around to some of what you talked about earlier, um, just in terms of um, the modern world, um, that kind of thing that you, you, you argue that the rejection of modernity, which we're seeing quite a bit these days, you've re-referenced, you know, our generation and younger generations are, are way more open to the enchantment of the world including the bible um, than maybe previous generations and I, I i remember though growing up um i mean it, this was not that uh, not that many years ago tell us stories about from when you were the, young
2: ben tell us, this, right, tell yeah, us some yeah, stories yeah, yeah. way back then
3: when i was a child um, but i remember hearing about the dangers of postmodernity right the, like oh, yeah. the, the, there's not going to be any truth you know um you know if everything is relative like how are mm. we going to know what's what's correct you know and what's true um, but actually, you're seeing a lot more of an opportunity for us to reclaim something that we've lost from the scriptures and from the world. I mean that's another interesting aspect of what we're talking about here is not just the reenchantment of the scriptures, but the whole world yes. needs to be reenchanted. We need to understand it right. more sacramentally. But I don't know, maybe maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Um, can you help us see maybe the opportunity in our cultural moment where a lot of the assumptions we had about modernity are being questioned or being shaken? People are starting to think, you know what, maybe this isn't what the world is really like. Oh,
4: yeah, maybe there's more. Um, right. Years ago, my husband wrote, I think, a seminal piece in the Journal for Pentecostal Theology, um, which he called uh, Pentecostalism and a Postmodern Worldview, in which he says pretty much that for Pentecostals, um, the supernatural reality and a God can be present in any place, at any time, anywhere. It's kind of like the Gospel of Mark, which is such an enchanting, terrifying text sometimes. But you're just going about your daily business, and all of a sudden, it's like some veil is pulled and a demon comes out, or it's just um, that very thin world. And I believe we, as we became more Westernized, and uh, because I know. Pentecostals in the non-Western world who still have this enchanted worldview, and but we became evangelical in the in a sense of taking the assumption that uh, faith is reason, faith is belief in a uh, soteriology so of do you believe these things that deductive thinking and lo- lost a lot of this enchanted uh, worldview and. I do. I think I say in the in the book that this so-called postmodern, or maybe it's hypermodern, modern world, in some ways, um, it it allows for deconstruction and um, it allows for uh, marginal voices and truth that had been marginalized to come in, but it can become. A carnival or a cacophony, or um, and in some ways, it can be hypermodern because deconstruction is a lot of frontal lobe analysis, and I think that's great. But it, um, without a way out, it becomes what um, Altizer called, um, or Mark Taylor, yeah, in his essay airing, which he said. Uh, it's like a a, a funhouse where there is no entrance, no exit. You you play it, but that is um, that can drive you insane. And that um, and so deconstruction can become a trap, and you're constantly tearing apart, tearing apart, tearing apart when there's nothing—a sense of otherness, no way out. Um, And I've seen a lot of people rightly deconstruct the fundamentalism or whatever that they grew up with, but they took the same dichotomizing, rational way of thinking over to, okay, the progressive camp. Yes. They're Mm -hmm. not any happier. They're they're just as mean, and (laughs) it's not um, giving them the freedom that they thought it was going to give them. They're Mm -hmm. still trapped in. Their own power. Uh, so, what can save us from ourselves is um, the otherness that is there, that is larger, that is more deep, more mysterious, um, and even more dangerous. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's almost like um, y- you you have to be willing to deconstruct. I mean, we're using that metaphor maybe in slightly different ways and it's used in a lot of different ways, but you almost have to be able to deconstruct a little bit further, right? Where you you don't oh, yeah. just keep the same modernist frames, but you actually have to call that frame into question in mm-hmm. order to, which is really difficult for a lot of us just because we, mm-hmm. I think we've grown up just thinking oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, the, the materialist, scientific, like this way of looking at the world just is what the world is. Mm-hmm. And then anything else is fairy stories is... You know fantastic is not real mm-hmm. and yeah, like recovering this sacramental imagination, the reenchantment of the world, including the bible, that that actually i mean it's it's breathtaking <laughs> to come at like well, maybe there's more at work here than meets the eye, you know maybe maybe the stuff that we encounter with our five senses is not all there is, or maybe the stuff that we're encountering with our five senses there's more to it than Just what we can record scientifically.
4: Yeah, yeah, and as much you know, I love the power that the Enlightenment and science uh, has given us: critical reflection, reasoning, education, the power to be a subject over the world rather than this passive object in a world. Because that mysterious cosmos that many of our peasant ancestors lived in, it um, caused them to see some things wrongly. And it created a sense of fatalism that they. So I love what we now have with the ability yeah. to reason, to, um, to be self-grounded. Uh, I'm just grateful that I was educated and that I can have a hermeneutica suspicion. So I don't wanna give, I don't want to give that power up. But I also know that as a Pentecostal, I can be slain in the spirit and it's gone. It's, it's, um, it's something bigger takes hold of you. And, yeah, and that, um, and, and one thing that I, I feel is necessary, at least in my tradition, is that I need to be around people who don't have that power, mm. who not even maybe have a GED who, maybe barely literate through whom the spirit speaks and reads my book. And I think that is uh, one of the gifts of Azusa street and other places like that is that if you are around people who look like you and think like you, nothing really kind of changes much. You just all reinforce one another, but um, to submit to a sense of your, Submit your epistemology, your way of knowing to um, the spirit who delights in confounding the educated and the wise, as the New Testament likes to point out, uh, to use the weak of the world. That, I think, is necessary for true enchantment. That's
3: really good
1: Cheryl you use words like magic and wonder it shows up in your book a number of times and kind of you point out how the modern world is fascinated by the idea of or, or the reality of magic mm-hmm. um, and we're, we're people starved by wonder um what connection exists in your mind between reenchanting the Bible and its fascination with magic
4: yeah and you know I I, Tolkien's essay on fairy stories he distinguishes between magic and enchantment hmm. where he says enchantment is um where the agent of enchantment is creating some space but invites others to participate like this similar as it begins the creation story um the the beings they're uh, Are invited to sing the song of creation, and you're invited in, and and he makes the distinction that magic is um, more of having a power over and um, like a sorcerer's power. So he kind of, you know, opted for this preference of of enchantment, and I I will. I do that so that I I do think that enchantment is not getting you getting this power that can um, cast spells on somebody or take somebody down or because it's not about power. It's about um, participation in a world that is beyond you and you're invited to come into that world. So scripture for me is, um, grounded in the life of God and the economic life of God to God's plan to heal all of creation. And scripture is used in that, uh, a means of that to, I will use a word like a portal or a, a door or an enchanting song, bringing us into a space where we are not controlled by magic, but Are enchanted by the heavenly beings, or by a psalm, or by whatever, and it's um, not going to have a power over us as much as a a uh, doorway uh, for us to enter. Yeah, meaning like a more of an invitation. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. An invitation. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, We go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence, and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation.
2: Let's get back to the show. The end of your book, you talk a lot about this show. You talk about uh, relationality or communion. So the yeah. enchantment that isn't to control us, or, and right. so we can control or dominate other things mm-hmm. but so that we can be caught up in a larger reality that makes us more fully human and connects us with this Trinitarian divine life, which you also talk about. Um, maybe maybe as we close, because we can't get to everything um, in the book, but I, I wonder, many of us, as we're talking about <clears throat> magic, uh, and I know that's a metaphor, we're talking about as a metaphor, um, but a lot of us were taught like magical thinking as Christians. So Mm -hmm. if I just, if, if I, if I say this verse as an incantation, Mm -hmm. uh, I can make it happen or I can believe it or I can uh, impact things. And so you're, I don't think you're talking about script using scripture that way, but I think that's what our, where our imaginations go from our experience. Could you give us an example maybe of how, how what you're saying isn't that and how, how we can, Approach scriptures or submit to scriptures in a way that lets us be enchanted versus using scripture to cast a spell, cast a God spell on something.
4: Yeah, and what you described is, um, again, the word um, using scripture. Whenever anybody asks me, Do you have a scripture I could use, I just horrify, No, don't use those words to me. You mm. don't use scripture. Uh, it's not yours to use. It's not an object. Um, it's not a spell to be cast. You know, it's uh, the human power is It's still there, isn't it? I'm going to, I've got this verse and it's my power verse or this and that. Verses um, approaching scripture as a gracious invitation into the life of God by the spirit. Spirit and word join. And there is a feel, a communicative zone that happens where you actually are in the presence of God. And the scripture is serving, as the Orthodox would say, an icon, as an icon, uh, a portal. And it is a using um, the sense that this scripture is sanctified and fit. John Webster uses those terms in his description of scripture, that it's um, set apart and chosen as a sacred vessel to be used in God's divine economy to transform all creation. And it puts scripture, I think, in the context of divine revelation, of the economy of God, and you get out of all of this, is it inspiration is secondary. You know, the revelation of God is primary and it is the primary means. uh, You know, I I believe in a closed canon, Mm -hmm. but I also believe in the ongoing work of God and voice of God and, and creation and the charismata in all things. So, But I do think that scripture is a norming uh, canon in that. Um, So it's not a closed book in the sense that it doesn't invite the human imagination. It doesn't invite us to participate. uh, But neither is it so open that it's just whatever you whim it to be. Yeah. Um, And that is, I think, a misunderstanding of this invitation yeah. that I see in scripture.
2: Yeah, and there's there's maybe some of the things about modernity, sort of this libertarian f- freedom, that that to, to be free, we have to be able to do anything we want, and, and mm-hmm. what we see in scripture is true freedom, is is being freed by love to do what love mm-hmm. requires to do what love invites us to and so there's a sense in which oh, yeah. to what you're describing is a yeah. true freedom is a is necessarily bounded by relationships and commitments and uh, what it means to be human um, yeah uh, the book again is re-enchanting the text discovering the bible as sacred dangerous and mysterious Cheryl thanks so much for joining us today
4: thank you Matt I had a great time talking with you
2: So one of the lingering wonderings I have after that conversation with Cheryl, you know, she mentioned being slain in the spirit, which is a very yes. uh pentecostally thing to say. Mm-hmm. And she also talks about enchantment, wonder, participation, communion. And I I think people who have these experiences regularly,
3: the pentecostal um, ones, yeah, like
2: yeah you know, like um, the encounter with transcendence and what that does to our bodies and our minds and our spirit. Mm-hmm. I know there's listeners who have like begged God for that mm-hmm. kind of experience and haven't had it. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about when God doesn't, when I don't feel enchanted. You And I mean, like when I'm not mm-hmm. caught up in this thing, it's more of a you know, I got to drag myself to church on Sunday and preach a sermon and, you know, just not feeling it.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And I, I I don't know what to do about that. I just wanted to name it. Like, I think, yeah, I think I find part of me like saying a a hearty yes to everything she's sharing, but -hmm. then there's a part of me that grieves for Mm -hmm. how far that feels from me. Do you guys, can you guys relate to that?
3: I definitely can. Go ahead, Christy. What were you going to
1: say? Yeah, I just, I I think like in the tradition that we, the three of us are in, right, um, it's different, right? And so when God shows up in a way that's unexpected um, for somebody else, it's like, I don't know, I get jealous. Like, I want that. (laughs) I want to know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. You know. um, One, can I tell a quick story? Yeah. yeah. Um, Of a, like, I'm not Pentecostal. And yet, a couple of weeks ago, um, we're going through the book of Genesis on Wednesday night with high school kids. And so we're talking about um, basically, like, how does God speak? Like, when we, when we, are we asking God to be involved in decisions that we have to make? And a lot of times, it's not like God just like gives a neon sign and is like, go to this college or marry this person or, you know, and, and so. You know, you use wisdom from scripture, but you also use wisdom from other people who are older and wiser than you, and all of these ways of like, how do you discern God's will? Mm-hmm. And um, and so at the very end, I just challenge the kids, like, "Hey, let's." I give them all a note card. Why don't you just write a prayer asking God, like, what's an area of your life where you need to ask God? Would you just? I'm inviting you in to give us discernment and wisdom into this thing and ask for help, right? <laughs> and so this girl comes, who is really seeking Jesus, but isn't like full on in. Right. Um, And she came back the next week and she's like, Christy, I want you to read my card that I wrote last week. And I was like, okay. And so basically it said, God, I want to see you work and I want to believe that you're going to help me make these decisions or give me some wisdom. But Mm. like a lot of times I don't even believe I don't see you at work. I don't feel you at work. And so sometimes I just want to say, God, show me a pink card to know that you're real. Um, you know, amen. Mm -hmm. So she like, you know, I read, I read her little card yeah. and then I was like, cool. Like, I'm glad you were honest with God. She's like, no, do you know what happened on Friday? I was like, what? And she's like, I saw a pink car on my way home from school. And she like teared up y'all. And she was like, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing, but part of me wonders like, okay, God, I think you really are real. And I share that story because at first you're kind of like, okay, I'm sure there's pink cars in the road. Like I <laughs> excuse it away. Yeah. And yet, I don't know. Part of me is like, God, you work in ways that I do not understand that I sometimes don't experience you in. And and yet, like you're yeah. present and active in people's lives in unique ways. And I just want to say yes yeah. to all that you're going to do and all that you are doing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I love that. Uh, Christy, and I, I, I feel that same tension that you're feeling as it regards that story, because I, you know, I, I, feel the same thing that you've felt, Matt, about people who have begged God for some kind car. of experience, like that, a, a pink, pink car. car, you know, and or they never their get a version it. of that is right, yeah, and they never get it, and so I think it's so hard to rejoice with, you know, a girl who saw a pink car and has interpreted this as a sign from God that God cares about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's beautiful. But it's so hard to affirm that yeah. and then also not make that normative and then not sort of implicitly unaffirm, right. <laughs> you know, like the other experience, which is like, I wish I could see a pink car.
1: Right. It's, it's really hard. It seems yeah. complicated.
3: Yeah, it is really complicated. I mean, I, I grew up charismatic, you all yeah. so I, I grew up in this and I very much resonate with what you're talking about, Matt. Because I felt like I was in that environment, but I like I didn't experience things as readily or easily as the people around me did. Um, and, and it did make me wrestle really deeply mm-hmm. with like, mm-hmm. is there something wrong with me? Am I resistant to God's spirit? Is there yeah. some sort of like unconfessed sin? Like I asked all these questions all the time. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what settled for me. Um, eventually
2: you left or, or, <laughs> I was like, yeah, or maybe yeah or maybe you just stopped sinning so much Ben.
3: yeah <laughs> yeah I actually I eventually figured out all the ways that my uh, you started sin, you started dating sins. your
2: wife she was like hey knock it off stop sinning yeah. I want stop to be a sinning. Christian you're like, all like all right, okay fine. I'll do it
3: I'll do it uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um, actually it's not very far from the truth <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true it's true but anyway I Anyway, I I I could talk for a long time about this, but I will just say I think one of the gifts in my mind, for for me anyway, personally for me, one of the gifts of coming into the sacramental tradition is that I think it integrated for me my expect my charismatic expectation that God is here and gonna do something amazing, right? Like there's there's God is ready to heal. God is ready to act. God is ready to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of the, you know, broad brush strokes. That's the expectation of the charismatic tradition. Um, but the, in when I was in a charismatic church, it was always associated with heightened emotionality, um, sort of bodily experience. Right. So there was the be slain in the spirit. Right. It's like something, there's some power that has like like take it's touched my body, not just my mind, you know, and not just my emotions, but my body. But I think coming into the sacramental tradition has been so helpful for me because that encounter that it, it's still that God is here and God is ready to speak and to act and to heal. but it's not necessarily going to be overtly happening through transcendent experience. It happens in the body and the blood. It happens in the Eucharist. And so I've found it to be a, a great gift to me to know that grace is being communicated to me in this bread and in this wine, no matter how I feel, no matter if I'm paying attention, if I, if I liked the sermon or didn't, if I felt inspired or not. There is something, something settling to me about coming to the altar and receiving the bread and the wine that feels like it settles my faith. Like you don't have to have a transcendent experience today. You can just take this bread, you can just take this wine and trust that God's at work. So I don't know. That's been helpful for me. Yeah.
2: That's probably a good word to end on.
3: Yeah.
2: Chrissy, you know how
3: listener, go get yeast. Christy, you know
2: how I always tell a joke at the end of our podcast. Yeah.
1: I was actually thinking when we're talking about you, Chris, maybe don't tell a joke. (laughs)
2: You don't think a joke about That's the body and blood of Christ would be uh, appropriate? <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> no. Sorry, sorry, listeners. No joke at the end of well, this podcast.
2: Do you know where I keep all my dad jokes?
1: <laughs> no, in
2: a database.
3: <laughs> I do. I keep them there.
1: Never fails. It wasn't.
3: It wasn't to be. It wasn't a joke about nope. the Eucharist. Yeah, I appreciate that, would have been that. that. I do think Matt would have been <laughs> immediately for that. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All
2: right. Uh, well, listener, you uh,
3: just I, like he disappears in a the, puff of smoke. The,
2: the public shame of my friends has kept me out of hell one more week. <laughs> <laughs> but tune in next week to see Thank if goodness. I uh, go straight yeah. go straight to hell or not. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But he'll be on the oh, podcast yeah. uh, oh, yeah. next week, most likely. Most likely. Most likely.
2: <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> yeah.
3: All right. All kidding aside. Cheers. See you all next week. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode
2: of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd
3: tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join
1: you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as our email most fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful to join us go to gravityleadership.com slash join
2: our podcast is produced by ben sternke and matt tebbe aaron sternke edits and mixes the show you can check out his work at aaron
3: we'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button.
1: You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.